God, we thank you so much for all that you are and for all that you do. And Lord, we pray that as you have throughout time, that you would speak to us, your people, afresh. God, many of us in these walls have heard the gospel and have heard your word preached so many times. But Father, would you open up our hearts again? God, would you speak to us and would you help it to bear good fruit? God, there's no amount of, of human effort that can achieve this. We're completely dependent on you. And so, Father, would you turn our eyes to you now and, and would you continue the good work that you began within us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. This time last year, I was in Australia uh, and I was at the Airlie Beach. It's uh, incredible. I've never seen anything so stunning in my life. I'm not an artist. But like this was the this was the greatest artwork I've ever seen. I was just there at the beach. It's complete like piercing white sand. the The water is uh, like shades of blue that, as a Canadian, I've I've never seen. Grew up on the west coast. The ocean there is just black. You know, beautiful, but black. Okay, this is just these like light shades of blues and greens in the water that like billow out to like deeper blues and the sky. Like, I thought we all have the same sky, but it's just not the case. I think the ozone layer is, like, maybe some, but yeah, I'm not a scientist, but it's just the, the blues and the radiation is just absolutely stunning. I, I, growing up here, I hear about palm trees. Did you know there's different types of palm trees? They have all of them. Like, it's just absolutely stunning. And so I, I'm not much of a journalist either, or a, that's not the right word, someone who writes in a journal. But I was there on the beach on the white sand. I just had to write this down. And I was writing something to the effect of, like, God, you are the most incredible artist. And this is your masterpiece. That last line is a direct quote from my journal. This is your masterpiece. And then I put my journal away, and I opened up the Bible. I was reading during July last year, Ephesians. And this is the text that I read, and it's a text that Dan Lavden gave me to share with you today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no man, no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I looked at the, the bottom of the, the Bible I had with me, and it literally says um, workmanship, can also be translated as masterpiece. I literally had just written down like, this is your masterpiece. It's so easy to see that with the, the mixture of colors and to see the absolute creativity and power and a beyond human ability at art. And, and then I, I look and, and Paul is saying about us, about you and me, that we are God's masterpiece. That He's not in any way taking away from the beauty of the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen or art you've ever known. But for all that and how stunning and breathtaking that is, that we, us human beings, his church, is his masterpiece, his workmanship. And some of you, when you hear that, you're just like, yeah, I am. I know that right? You don't have any trouble believing that you are God's masterpiece. And it can sometimes, for us, almost be like an arrogant sense of like overinflated self-worth. But for many of us in the room, it's really hard to believe that we're his masterpiece. And we might believe we're his creation. Maybe we feel like he kind of 
I don't know, it didn't take too long with our, when he's making that. Just like, okay, let's move on. But like, we are his masterpiece. And so for some of us, we're living life with these insecurities. With others, we're living life with this arrogance. And these words can mean, can kind of make us feel different things. But when we can stop and see the beauty of these words through the power of the gospel, it both humbles us from our arrogance and it builds us up and frees us from our insecurity. And it restores to us this humble, secure confidence that empowers us that we were made to have. For by grace, Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, many of us, if, if you're a Protestant, you probably already know. It's okay if you don't. We're here to tell you. Many of us know that we're saved through faith. That it's not a result of our human effort. Human beings, we like to feel like we, you know, can get our way to heaven or get our way to freedom or success by our achievements and our work. And yet we know that we're saved not by the good things we've done, but by what Jesus has done and that we receive it. It's wholly dependent on him and we receive it through faith. I grew up being taught that. But growing up, I had this, this deep-seated anxiety in me that, that maybe my faith wasn't strong enough. Jesus said we need the faith of a mustard seed, but what if my faith wasn't even the size of a mustard seed? I know I'm not the only one to have said the sinner's prayer multiple times. Right? Like as, as a child, I'd pray it, and then a little bit later, I'd be like, what, did, I, did I pray it with enough earnestness, with was that really faith or was that fear? So I'd pray it again, just re-become a Christian. And then a little bit later, I, I re-became a Christian. I just, I, I had this fear, not only maybe, maybe the prayer was real, maybe my faith was strong, but what if my faith evaporated? And that was a real, like, deep-seated anxiety within me. And yet, it wasn't until I came across this reality about the, the until I came across the Bible's teaching on grace, that those fears and anxieties dropped away. And for some of us, these words are going to remove fear. For others of us, these words humble us. For all of us, these words are life. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Look up what grace means. Some will say it means unmerited favor. In that way, we often think of it as like the mercy of God, his, his grace to us. But it's actually a whole lot more robust than that. Grace is this word that means this divine gift. If you know the term charismatic or uh, the charismatic gifts, it refers to these like divine gifts and power from God. And the Bible speaks of a variety of these gifts from him. Um, but the, the, when the Bible speaks of his grace, like his greatest gift that he gives us is himself. And we see that our faith in him, the fact that you believe in Jesus, that you believe he really is who he says he is, whether for some of us that's really kind of developed from looking at how science points to God or for some of us really wrestling through why we believe the scriptures and we see the logic in that for good reason, whether it's because for some of us we, we love history and we wrestle through the historical evidence that points to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, the fact that we're able to even like understand the evidence and the logic and we are convinced intellectually that Jesus is real, the fact that we believe he is real, is that that faith in him is a gift from God. That it's not something we worked up or any power of our own intellect that we could believe reality. And not only our belief intellectually that he's real, but our trust in him, our, our surrender to him, 
are asking him for forgiveness, are committing your lives to him. All of that is a gift, this divine gift, this grace from God that's not of our own doing. An analogy that many others have used is that we can think of um, Jesus rescuing us from, from drowning. And that the way that, like, as a kid with those anxieties I had, it was if I saw my faith as I'm, like, out there in, 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 in the ocean, and I'm, like, treading, I'm trying to keep my head above water, and I can't, and I'm, like, drowning, and, and Jesus throws me, uh, like, a, whatever it's called, those circular things that look like donuts, but they're filled with air. Yes, a lifesaver. Yeah, so you're there, you get one, and it's like my faith is me reaching and grabbing hold of it, and now I'm like towed back into the shore to life. And if that's the case, then yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't rescue myself, but my grip really matters. But that's not the image the Bible uses at all. Rather, the Bible uses the imagery of our being dead. And so it's more like, it's not that we're drowning, we've drowned. And it's not like we're like struggling to keep our head above the water. We're at the bottom of the ocean dead. And there is nothing that a dead person does to contribute to their rescue. They're dead. But Jesus in his death, and the, the, the Bible uses the language of him being submerged in the water. Like it uses uh, regarding baptism and that we've been you know, with him. That, that it's like Jesus has, has dove into the bottom of the ocean, joined us in our death down there, grabbed us and brought us out of the waters and breathed his life into us. Now, if you know much about science, and I'll be honest, I don't, but if you know much about science, you can't like breathe life into a dead thing, right? Someone's mostly dead, like they say in the Princess Bride. You can, you know, maybe breathe life, some CPR, but when you're dead, when you're gone, you're really gone. But that's the power and the divine grace of God, that he has done the impossible in your and my life, that he breathed his life into our dead, empty lungs. And we've come to believe in him, that our faith, is, a, is his, his, his action he took. It's his initiative, and it's sustained by him, not only begun by him. And so when we hear that, on the one hand, it is so, not even on the one hand, on all the hands, just beautifully freeing, that no longer did I have to live with this fear of, what if I had, what if I, like, my faith evaporates? Because he's the one that began that faith in me, and the ballast tells us that he's the one that will see it through to the end. And so we don't have to rely on our own grip of faith. But it's also humbling because some of us can start to feel like um, that, that, our, that our faith and this stuff is a result of the work that we've done or, or how hard we've worked through those questions or whatever the case. And then we come to this and we're humbled that it was actually God's, God's un, like the unmerited gift from God that we don't deserve it at all. And it was completely his initiative. It was completely his work that we have faith. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. I don't know if you're the kind of person that gets annoyed by repetition, but see how much repetition there is. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. And we see grace, and we see the, the, the beauty in it, but like those in the original, this is when it says grace, it, has, it means like divine gift. So, so listen, for by this divine gift you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Paul is repeating himself. Himself, And then he continues, not a result of works. He's just said that, but not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, for we are this masterpiece that he has made. 
So you see that Paul's just kind of circling around and around, coming at different angles. It's a divine gift. It's a, not a result of your works. It's a gift. It's, it's not anything that we've done. Paul's trying to drive home for us because he knows that, because God knows that every single one of us will struggle between, will kind of oscillate between thinking arrogantly as if we have achieved our freedom and our success and our faith and also that we're really afraid and, and there's like a combination in within ourselves of arrogance and insecurity. And they seem like they're opposites, but they're actually so intricately contributing to each other. And these words are freeing us from either as we see that our faith and our salvation, our relationship with God, our being able to be pure in his sight, redeemed in his children, is all because of his work. And that's absolutely incredible. As I was working through this this week, I was I had the privilege at camp to sit down with a, a a brother in Christ and get to hear how they're doing, and they were sharing how they just they were feeling really far from God and they were mentioning you know trying to figure out why and tell me some of the mistakes they'd made recently and all this stuff and I brought them back to this text and the analogy that kind of came to me there to share with him I'll share with you now has meant a lot to me this week I, I remembered a few years ago I was at church on Wednesday. Some of you are familiar with that ministry started by this church. It's um, a church service in the middle of the university, and there was a bunch of students who would come, and a whole bunch of the students from the Laurentian Leadership Center. It's a, a campus of Trinity Western University, and it's here in Ottawa. It's, it's this big house, a mansion. A bunch of the students were coming, and I just loved these students. I didn't just love them, but like I liked them. Like They were so fun to be with. And in December, just before their exams, they all got the stomach flu. When I say all, I'm not talking about like five. There was like 18 of them, and they're all like, like violently throwing up. I know it's in the morning, but just got to be real. They were violently throwing up. And so I'm not much of a cook, but I am the son of a Jewish mother. So I went over there, brought a bunch of like chicken soup, a uh, chicken and whatever I needed, asked my mom. And I put on the, this massive pot they had and made them like this, this boiling pot of chicken soup. And again, not a scientist, but I've heard pomegranate seeds are helpful for rebuilding your immune system and blueberries and whatever. The stuff my mom did for me as a kid, okay, not all the stuff, just a bit of the stuff my mom did. She did much more. But I brought the stuff and I went there and I started going around to the rooms to give them chicken soup and pomegranates and blueberries and stuff. By this point, most of them had stopped throwing up, so don't judge me. I wasn't like giving them soup and then, you know what I'm saying? Why am I telling you this? We're just going to continue. You're committed. And so what was interesting is I'd go into this room and they, they looked awful. And I'll be honest, it didn't smell good either. And I went in there and I just, it was like so, it was actually so like meaningful to me for me to get to be with them. And, but some of them were just like, no, don't come in. Like, don't come into my room. And, and they literally, one person's like, don't come into the room. I, I look like a mess. Like I'd come to like join them in their mess to help them like to, to be with them and to help try to get them better, right? But they, they literally just wanted to get better themselves and they wanted to clean up and shower and get the stuff out of their hair and then be able to be with me, fully clean and fully just shining. But I'd come to be with them. In fact, a couple of them I wasn't going to give soup to because they were still throwing up. And like, had they let me, I would have just as happily gone with them and like held back their hair while they threw up and just been with them in their midst of their grossness, right? And I realized as, as I was listening to my friends speak, I saw myself reflected not not as... Not in that story, like, not as the one who's bringing the soup, but how often in my relationship with God, I'm like the one who's saying, hey, no, don't come in, I'm dirty. When we have failed, when we've sinned, which we do more than we realize, that we often, when we're aware of it, we kind of don't want God to come too close. But we want to we be able to like, clean up and do our stuff first 
And then when we feel like we're, like, we're back in the Bible or like we're back away from that behavior or away from that addiction, then we feel like we can, okay, we can then really hold our head up and engage with God again. But God has literally come into this earth, come into our, the world and our lives to, to be with us in our vomit, to be with us in our defilement. It's not that like he wants to be with us despite our grossness. He actually wants to be with us in light of our grossness. He wants to be there with us. Even like he, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's not like he's just in the other room while we're like doing our sin and then we come back to him. He, and this is almost, this is, in some ways it's, it's like, I don't know, like a healthy, disturbing thought that he's even with us in the midst of our sins. That he's like in the midst of your most embarrassing or grotesque or whatever stuff that you have ever done or in the midst of doing or will do, that he's there with us. Him, the holy and pure and awesome, greatest artist and most wonderful, kind, understanding, compassionate, that he's there with us. And he's there not just to, not just to be chilling with us, but he's there to hold us in our brokenness and to bring us healing and freedom. And so I pray that these words today would help us to allow us to open our hearts and our lives to God's presence in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our, our being wounded by others, that we can let God in. And it might be even more uncomfortable to realize that, that God has said that we're his hands and feet. And so if we're to let God in, it means not only letting his spirit in, but letting his hands and feet. It means letting the church, letting each other into our lives to be with us in our brokenness. They would stop trying to like hide away the ugly parts of us or the broken parts of us or the insecure parts of us, but that we would be honest with ourselves and with God. It's, it's not a matter of cleaning up so we can be with him, but that he is with us and he'll clean us up because he loves us so profoundly much, too much to leave us in our vomit or sickness. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. For we are his masterpiece. Even as the world and our own flesh and the devil tempt us to try to live life like we're gods or goddesses. So also the world, ourselves, or flesh, and the devil are also teaching us another message all the time that we're just trash. So they're trying to like pump us up so we're too inflated and trying to break us down so we're just hurt people hurting people. Yet we see here that we're his masterpiece. Your understanding of yourself, like your, your identity, is going to affect the way you treat others, relate to God, our, the world, and ourselves. You and I, our default is to believe both that we are gods as well as that we're trash. And I, I've, I've seen with others and I've seen in my own life that when we think that we're trash, it impacts the decisions we make. It impacts who we date. It impacts what we do with our time. It impacts even our ability to say no to sin. Because trash is what trash does is how we think. If I'm trash, I'm, I'm just going to sell for being and doing and living in trash. 
If we think that we're gods and goddesses, we, we use people, we abuse people, we trample people. Both the arrogance and the insecurity lead us to, to living life that's turned in and a life that's empty and a life that's so much less than we're made for. But we see here that we're neither gods nor that we're trash, but we see that we're God's masterpiece. That you and I have been saved, not only from sin, but to life. We've been saved not only from being slaves to sin, but be, we've been saved to be sons and daughters of God. I should rephrase it. We're not just saved from being slaves to sin, but we are saved and therefore sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. In that respect, we're royalty. And that understanding that we are royalty in submission to God's power, that we are God's workmanship, we're his masterpiece, it leads us to treat others with respect and dignity. It leads us to this respect and awe of the one who, who made us, whose masterpiece we are. And it leads us to a healthy self-respect that doesn't need to prove ourselves. So much of what we do, so much of what I do, is trying to prove myself, not just to God or to other people, but even to myself. I want to prove my worth. I want to prove that I matter. I want to, and you'll see it, I'll see it at least in reflecting the way that I play sports or games or anything, that, that sense of like my identity being on the line. The, the, the sports, it's, it's less fun that way, and I'm more savage that way. But I remember playing uh, ping pong with one of my roommates, and this guy is a fierce competitor. He, all, he will like base, he always wins. And yet you also get the sense to which he's like rooting for, for you to do well. Like he's delighting in my, when I actually rarely do get that great spin in or whatever, like he's happy for me. There's a sense to which he's competitive and he seeks to do his best, but his identity isn't on the line. He's not threatened by my success. He can also, he can seek to do his best while like cheering for me. And I asked him once, I told him that, I said all that to him. I was like, how are you like this? And he just said how he used to be so insecure. And as a result, everyone else's success was a threat to him. But as he has allowed God into the broken places in his life and allowed God's grace to make him secure and confident, he's been able to continue to seek to do his best, but his identity is not on the line. He's able to do his best while cheering for other success. That's what I want for us. More than that, that's what God wants for us. For us to be able to be that secure, humble, confident people. Listen, it doesn't just say for you are his workmanship. It says for we are his workmanship. So not only do we need to hear that you are you yourself, that me myself is his masterpiece, his workmanship, but you and I also need to hear that the person beside you is his masterpiece. And for some of us, it might be difficult. And not just the person beside you, but the person you have intentionally not sat beside because they just annoy you. Their singing is so loud, you're just like, mm, I can't enter in if I'm on the same side. So you're like sitting on the other side of this because you're just like, oh, that person is his masterpiece. Whoever it is that annoys you or bores you or whatever the case may be. Your colleague who just is your colleague is God's masterpiece. We need to hear that. And it's not enough for us to just try harder to like them or to see God's beauty in them because you and I just don't have the strength. But I want to invite us, rather these words challenge us, to look to God and say, God, just as, your, just as my faith in you is a gift, so also I need the gift of your love for others. Help me to love. Help me to not only love, but like you, to celebrate who you've made. 
and it's God, I've, I've seen God in surprising ways be able to answer that prayer and be able to help someone as self-centered as me be able to like and love and even like delight in these people who seem to me to be hard to love and to like. And really, like, sometimes we can over-spiritualize what it means to love someone. But you can see, not only here, but throughout the scriptures in Colossians 3, Paul uses this language that we're not only loved, but that we're beloved. That sense of beloved means that not only does God love us, but like that he delights in us. He, there's not just, I don't, I hope it doesn't sound flaky, but that he like celebrates who he's made in us. That he likes us. And if you and I want to be people who love what God loves and hates what God hates, then it includes loving and even liking people that rub us the wrong way. And you and I just don't have the strength to do that on our own. We need God's Holy Spirit to bear that fruit in us. And it's something for us to ask and to receive. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Listen, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's saying that we are his workmanship, like that we're, this, we're the, the work of God's hands created for work. Sometimes I think that it's, it's so easy for us to speak of the work of God as if it ends with our believing in him. Now that we believe in him, we've received his forgiveness, oh, that's it. But God has rescued us to join him in his work. And what is his work? The opening of the Christmas story, the, the coming of Jesus into the earth in John 1, 5, the opening words say, light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. At the work of Jesus' redemption, his, the gospel is one of light shining in darkness. Jesus calls us to believe in him. Five times throughout the gospels, Jesus says, believe in me. But more than 20 times, he says to follow him, that he has created us to join him in being light in the darkness. At the very start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus read over himself, Isaiah 61. This is his mission statement, this ancient prophecy, hundreds of years before he came, which says that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the captives. Freedom to the captives, sure, that includes victims of human trafficking, victims of those who are, for their faith, imprisoned, a variety of that type of people behind bars, but... But it includes so much more than that. Some of the greatest prisons we ever find ourselves in is the prison of bitterness and unforgiveness, is the prison of, of anger and um, betrayal. And Jesus has come into the world. He's broken into the world to save not only you and me, but to the people on our street, to save our family members and our colleagues from those prisons of bitterness and resentment and entitlement. And large scale and small scale. And he has saved us to join him in being rescuers. Recently I've been just kind of hit by Harriet Tubman. She was a young woman who was saved from slavery 200 years ago. She was living in the, in the deep American South. I believe she was like 13 at the time. And this, this rescuer came and led her and others on foot all the way up to Canada. Recently, I've been doing a step challenge on my phone. I get scene points for it. This is not, uh, this sermon is not like sponsored by them, but you can sign up too. Anyway, um, I've been doing a step challenge. I've been really proud of myself for just destroying the step challenge. I am killing it. If I look at my step challenge on my best day, like it is less than a quarter of what the steps that she was doing every single day, all the way up from the south. You know what I'm saying? 
Okay, I don't know if I'm communicating, but that's a very far place to come from the deep south to walk up to Canada. She gets here, and like all the other rescued slaves, she has, for the first time in her life, freedom. For the first time in her life, the laws of, like, that protect people's uh, worth and safety apply to her. And all these slaves are like, trying to make their best run at it for life in Canada. Still coming up against all sorts of racism and, and stuff, but still so much better than what they'd come from. But Harriet, the teenager, was just like, I can't stay here. There's so many people back there. And so she used her freedom, turned around, and walked back to the south and led, as a teenager, people back up all the way to Canada freedom. And then she went back. And the more that she did it, the more the enemies hated her, the more that the slave owners, and so people, they started having posters with her face on it and huge rewards and all this kind of stuff to try to find her. And still she went back. Her life is to be a depiction of what the life of a Christian is. I mean, her sense of courage and, and selflessness came from her deep faith in Jesus. But she's not to be some hero, but rather a template for every one of us. That we have been saved, we've been made this masterpiece, this workmanship for God, and we were saved to be saved, to be joining Jesus and being saviors in a sense. You'll find sometimes if you join God in this work, in small ways and in big ways, that you might get people throwing at you that you're a, uh, that you got a hero complex. But honestly, for Christians, there should be a sense to which our lives look like we have a hero complex because there should be not a workaholism, but a selflessness to ourselves. And that line is sometimes hard and I fail it. But we were created to follow, to join in, to live life with the rescuer of all of humanity and the entire universe. And so it's going to look so different for different ones of us. But we're all called to that great work. You, listen, you were made to make a difference. You were saved to be a light in the darkness. That isn't hype. It's not an exaggeration. That is your mission statement. Isaiah 61.1 is your and my mission statement as followers of Jesus. But it's so important for us to see And it's so easy for us to fail and fall into doing those good works, hoping that that will fulfill that sense of emptiness in us, hoping that it might please God, hoping that it somehow compensates for our our failings. The life of someone who is doing this out of the freedom that God has won for us and the life of someone who is doing it out of insecurity might look very similar, even identical. But the, the inner health is, is, is so different. And I find it so easy for us to, to fall into one and then go back and fall into one. And yet, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The same God that has saved us from being slaves to sin and children of darkness is the same God that can save you and me from falling into this works righteousness, falling into trying to use our good works to prove something. He who has saved us is saving us. Let us pray. God, thank you that you don't leave us to our own pettiness, insecurities, or arrogance but that you have joined us in the midst of our brokenness. God, thank you for your love for us. 
that you not only love us, but you like us. You like us. God, thank you that we are your workmanship. We're your masterpiece. And that you are the one who began this good work in us. And you are the one who will see it through to the end. And so, Father, I pray that you would once again set us free from our insecurities or our arrogance. And, God, that you would lead each one of us, not only in light of the gospel, but through the power of the gospel, through the power that raised Jesus from the dead, through his victory, that you would lead us in that humble, confidence, selfless life of courage and rescue as we join you. As we not only join you, but also let you in to the broken places in our lives. For the sake of your name and your renown. In your son's name we pray, amen.